Welcome to Women Inspired. I'm your host, Linda Ugalow, and on this show, I interview artists, healers, changemakers, and entrepreneurs about what fires them up and how they put their dreams into action. And I'm really excited to have on my show today someone who specializes in the ideas and the powers of the introvert. Welcome to our show, Ama Marfo. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat. So how did you get interested in introversion? It started, I think, officially in grad school. So I went to a graduate program for higher education. So we learned a lot about how to work with different types of students, how to guide them through the college experience, and some of that involved their temperament. So as we learned about what extroverted students looked like and what introverted students looked like, I started to see myself in a way that I hadn't really before. Um, and that stayed with me through the rest of that program as I thought about student leadership opportunities and how we reward students for excellence and how we frame those expectations largely in terms of extroversion. So what could an introverted student leader look like? What could an introverted academic, academically excellent student look like? So I started to rethink a lot of what those processes should look like, what they could look like, did the research, did a lot of writing, and more and more people started to respond to it. So I talked to my students about it, they loved it. Being in Boston, there are colleges all over, so my friend said, cross the bridge, come talk to our students, see what they would think. And it just gathered steam and gathered steam until it was something that I felt I could really confidently talk about and make impact on for people in terms of how they recruited student uh, leaders, how they then um, brought them in to reward them, how they advised them, every part of that experience needed to look a little bit different, but no one was talking about it. So are you an introvert? Very much so. I'm what I call a lowercase i introvert in that it's very much a part of who I am. A lowercase i as opposed to a higher case i? Sure. If you think about the idea of everybody being on a spectrum with extroversion being on one side and introversion being on the other, I lean pretty far over to the introverted side. Okay. And can you define introversion? It's an interesting thing to talk about how people understand the construct versus what it actually is. And the way that I like to explain it involves complex carbohydrates, if you can believe it. I, I talk about extroverts being a lot like rice in terms of how you cook them. So they go into cold water. As the water gets hotter, they take on the energy of that space and rice becomes edible for having done that. Mm. And I think about that in comparison to introverts who are a little bit more like pasta in the sense that they can go into that boiling hot environment for a finite amount of time or else they have to come out. They're not made better by staying in that longer. It's a finite amount of time before they're at their best and then they have to come out. And I like to use that example because I think it dispels some of the myths about introverts not liking people or wanting to be by themselves all the time. They need that stimulation, they crave it. In many ways, they're really good in those environments, but it's only for so long before they need to do something a little bit different. Step back, recharge, in order to be at their best. Mm -hmm. I never realized I was an introvert until I had a child and she needed time alone with me when we were in a lot of big groups. Mm -hmm. And I realized how much I appreciated being taken away from those large, mm -hmm. busy environments to nurse or you know just spend a little time with her, I thought, wow, I didn't, I just didn't know that about myself before. And it is something where because we're in environments 
that want us to be able to be around people effortlessly and deal with that type of stimulation without a whole lot of challenge. Most people don't learn that about themselves right away. It takes a little bit more time. The older they get, the more they get to honor those types of things, the more they re realize, I might prefer this, but mm -hmm. I was never allowed to know that before. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting to help people come into that. Again, especially when I work with students because that impacts how they make professional decision. It impacts how they frame the relationships they make once they get to choose versus ones in school, which are sometimes based on proximity. When you're picking people um, in your own life day to day that you want to spend time with, who gives you that energy? Who makes you feel energized? And who might be taking energy away from you? And how does that impact how you relate to people? Yeah, and, how, and speak a little bit more about, um, you mentioned about the types of jobs that people would go be drawn to do or mm -hmm the way that people would hire for jobs based on, it's, can you say a little bit more about that? I can. So as I was working with students, I started to then recognize that a lot of professionals I was working with, be that people that did the same type of work as I did, or people that worked at completely different types of organizations also needed to hear that message. So I think about what we look for in ideal job candidates. So it's people that can come into a space with people that they don't know very well, speak very quickly and very knowledgeably at length just when asked a question. They're often not given the opportunity to prepare. Sometimes those interviews can go on for hours and hours depending upon the profession. It's multi-day opportunities. Some people can do really well in those types of environments. Some people can't. And their ability to endure the interview process which is in a lot of cases really independent of the job, that was then dictating who got into these opportunities and who didn't. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to me to think about what elements of the process might not work agnostically mm -hmm. and what parts of the process might be draining people to the point where they can't perform, even if they could do what the job was asking of them. Mm -hmm. So that's been another really big part of my experience is thinking about how we socialize people into organizations and how it might not be the right way for everybody and mm -hmm. what could it look like instead. So what could it look like instead? I think about anytime you're asking somebody to take a test, it is considered poor form to take a test without studying. So to me, if you give the opportunity to interview somebody, why don't they get the questions beforehand? Why don't they know what they're being asked necessarily? And can you give them that time to think about what their best version of the response would be? Mm. Um, if there are multiple people coming into that process, can they maybe get a sense of who those people are, what their positions are, and how they might be interacting with those roles? Mm -hmm. um, if there are ways to maybe give people time, breaks in between those extended periods, and not just five minutes to go to the bathroom and get a drink of water, but 15, 20 minutes to think about what they've talked about in the last stage, digest that information and bring it knowledgeably and more coherently into the next stage. And those aren't really things that we think about very often. It's about getting it done within a finite period of time and you lose people along the way when you do that. That's really a very different structure, mm -hmm. a, way, a very different way of thinking about structure mm -hmm. that really honors a, a different mode of, um, I guess, experience for people. And I find yeah. that it's one that tends to benefit more groups than just introverts. So a lot of the things that I do aren't necessarily to elevate them over extroverts, but it's more to either level a playing field, but think about who could gain 
in so doing. And I've talked to a lot of people about some of the methods that I've suggested and they've mentioned it's also worked really well for international students or international candidates for whom English isn't their first language. Right. So they have more time to think about some of those things. Candidates with sensory processing disorders or that are on the autism spectrum, which is something I never realized, but they recognize that those individuals when given these strategies were also performing better. So it's not just for this group, it's had added benefit in a way that's been really, really interesting to learn about. Yeah, for sure, because a lot of people who are, let's say, English is not their native language, mm -hmm. they may feel shyer. Right. And shy is not the same as introverted, is it? No, they are different, and that's another thing that I, we can talk about that. In well, moment, well to take, talk about it right now. Sure. So <laughs> shyness is more of a fear of social interaction. So you're avoiding it because you're afraid of it or intensely uncomfortable with it. And that's different from introversion, which is more about it being a draining or de-energizing process. So I heard it explained once, and I can't remember who wrote it originally, but the difference between avoiding the dentist and avoiding exercise. Some people are afraid of the dentist, and that's why they avoid it, but some people are just not willing to exercise because they know it's gonna take a lot out of them. Those are the differences. Mm -hmm. So what are you afraid of versus what do you just dread because you're recognizing, I'm gonna be tired when this is done. Mm -hmm. And you treat those situations differently, and people are different. They can be both, they can be neither, they can be one or the other. Yeah, that's very interesting. So I consider myself a gregarious introvert. Same. And I, my daughter was, used to be a shy extrovert. Mm -hmm. So she had to be around people all the time. Her favorite day was one where she was constantly with other people, mm -hmm. but she was very shy to interact with them. Right. But she wanted to be around them, mm -hmm. and she wasn't happy just we were homeschooling for a while. Actually, it wasn't that she was unhappy, but she was she really craved activity. So yeah. even as we homeschooled, she wanted activities all the time right. with other people. Yes, and that and that is something that I talk to people about. They're like, well, can extroverts be shy? Absolutely, mm -hmm. and introverts can be outgoing. I always would describe to people, if you think about it on an axis, one's on let me make sure I do this right. One is X and one's Y, but you can be plotted anywhere along that axis mm -hmm. across both spectrums. Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. So what about um, the special qualities that maybe introverts do have? Because it's not just a liability mm -hmm. by any means, is it? No, not by any means. And I like to tell people that in terms of skills or abilities, traits, jobs that you can go after, I have that conversation with people, nothing's really off limits. I think it's just a matter of knowing what you're best at, what you are inclined towards, and being able to find positions and opportunities that allow you to express that best. So some of the things that fall on that list, um, asynchronous communication. So I think about the idea that a lot of wisdom that is taken and followed comes from someone being able to speak in a meeting when they are asked a question and just respond in that moment. And because that person spoke first or spoke loudly, they're listened to. But what if you're the person that needs to take in all the information from a meeting, think about it, and send somebody a message an hour later or two days later? If that situation is an emergency, can that input be carried with the same weight as the person that was first to speak? I think it should be, mm -hmm. especially when those decisions can have really big impact for the trajectory of the organization. So recognizing that there are people who might be a little bit better writing something down mm -hmm. or having a one-on-one -on -one conversation, and maybe not in the moment, but an hour later or two days later, all of that being weighed on the same level playing field, I think is really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Tell me more about 
Like, why do you think you have been such a good spokesperson for this? What? That's a good question. <laughs> I think I'm the type of person who really likes to think very deeply about these things, which is also a hallmark of introversion, is being able to sit for long periods with information, focus, gather a lot of information to back this up. So I think some of it is just the idea that in the moment where it started building steam for me, nobody else was doing it and I was willing to sit with that information long enough. I really like talking to people, asking them questions and thinking about how they work and finding ways to help them be successful. That's kind of always been something I've really appreciated. And doing this for a population that in a lot of ways has been overlooked, it's kind of having a moment now and has been for the last six or seven years, but prior to that, no one was talking about it. And I think being able to voice something that a lot of people haven't been asked and haven't been offered the opportunity to manage has been a huge opportunity. And it's something I enjoy. Mm -hmm. So would you, would you say, you saying that you are very introspective, is there an overlap between introspection and introversion? Is it because introverts spend more time by themselves that they have time to sure. do more of this kind of thinking? And it is something that gets, um, gets mapped upon introverts a lot is the idea that because they spend a lot of time with themselves, they're very comfortable with ideas and thoughts and can spend a lot of time in that world, which is true. It is not exclusive um, for, of extroverts. They can do that as well. But introverts tend to be very good at it, tend to really enjoy it, and tend to prefer it to some of the things that they would do um, that might be more social or might be more people-oriented. Mm -hmm. And when you did your research, like. Uh, like what kinds of things would you ask people? What, you know, how did you go about gathering information and finding out what, what kinds of environments would help an introvert? Um, I asked them a lot about their daily routine and where they noticed themselves feeling really energized and where they noticed themselves feeling really drained. And paying really close attention to that, A, helped them figure out what they needed to keep doing and what they might need to stop doing or what they might need to ask questions about why they were doing. Um, but it also gave me an opportunity to think about if these answers are fairly common and they're systemic, what in the system might need to change so that that expectation is not the only thing that's seen as the way to be successful in that environment. Mm -hmm. So that's how you came up with the idea of like in an interview process to have more more time to uh, pull your thoughts together and reflect and um, which is as you said probably good for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, and I tried to think about really good natural inflection points and common scenarios. So in the first book that I wrote about this, specifically geared towards uh, professionals that were working in student affairs and higher education, I thought about hiring processes, because most of ours, if you go in for an on-campus interview, it's two to three days long. Mm. So who can thrive over the course of two days in that type of pressure? Who can't, and what might need to be different in that process so that that's not necessarily the case. Mm -hmm. Conferences are another place that that's involved. And there are actually situations where the hiring is happening at those conferences, so you are dealing with the compounded pressure of both of those things at once. Again, some people are better suited to handle those situations than others. So if those are the circumstances where somebody's expected to succeed, what do they need and what can you provide? Mm -hmm. Nice. You know, when you mention conferences, I'm thinking of a conference that I've gone to several times, and they're going to be running for two more years. I think it's called the World Domination Summit. Oh, and that sounds daunting. <laughs> it's, it does sound daunting. It's very alternative. And one of the things that I that strikes me about their schedule is that they have a busy morning. Then you're off from twelve to four, 
okay. There are lots of meetups that can happen during those times, mm -hmm. and then you come back for you know a late afternoon um, back into the the theater. Mm -hmm. But they also have a place for uh, I can't remember. It's some kind of R and R where they have hammocks okay. in a darkened room where you can go up in the on the fourth floor of the theater mm -hmm. and just kind of curl up in a ball by yourself, and it's a quiet room. I like that a lot. Isn't that nice? <laughs> I, I love that. I think, I think more places should have that. And I like the idea of having a multi-hour break in the middle where if you are a person who wants to spend that time with people or wants to network, you can. If you're the person, and I am one of those people who needs to go take a nap, you can do that too. And you don't have to miss anything, exactly. so to speak. So yeah, being able to structure things that honor the way people might need to spend their time and allowing that rather than forcing them to kind of carve that time out for themselves. Because yeah. if they have to find it themselves, what does it say about what you value as an organization mm. and who ultimately is seen as more valuable as a result? Yeah. So thinking about those types of scheduling decisions, not just as a means to convey information, but reflective of your values and therefore who you value. Yes, yes. Well, I think it's telling that probably the, the people who organize this are more introverted in nature. Or may have gotten enough feedback from or the got enough, to or, Yeah, one or the other, yes. So you mentioned a book. You have, you have a couple of books, right? I do, yes. I have two um, about introversion. So one is geared more towards the professional experience in higher education, and then the second one is specifically for students. Uh, so if you're working with student leaders, what should the recruitment process look like? What should their onboarding and training look like? What should advising uh, them look like? What should evaluating their performance look like? And then what should the recognitions and rewards process look like mm -hmm. in a way that can accommodate uh, both types of personalities. Mm -hmm. Now I would think that this this kind of way of thinking and breakdown would be very useful for organizations as well for um, in the workplace. Do you bring this to the workplace at all? I do. I bring it into organizations that are rethinking or re-examining a lot of their processes. So sometimes that's if they've had a good bit of attrition. Sometimes that's if they've recognized We've never thought about this before, and maybe we want this type of person in our organization, but we can't get them here, and we don't understand why. So for any number of reasons, all of this absolutely maps onto organizations, because that's all really higher education is. It is one form of institution, but there are a number of other types, and all of them can stand to evaluate their practices, their expectations, and their processes. Who can succeed in them, who can't, and what can be changed to make sure that that field is a little bit more level. So I can understand why if a company has had a lot of attrition, they may be kind of doing a lot of debriefing, like mm -hmm. why is this happening? Who, how do we need, how do, what do we need to do in order to keep people here or mm -hmm. get the right people here? Right. Why would somebody, what is the pain point for someone who would just say, um, we want more introverts in this organization? What would be the motivating factor for that? So one of the ones that I see is the idea that I can't think of an industry that isn't at a point of significant, profound change. Uh, thinking about what the next level of that organization should look like as we look at different types of economies and having to look towards working globally, a lot of different industries are changing in a lot of really big ways. So having people that are naturally contemplative and can make sure that those changes are happening in a way where big questions are asked thoughtfully and that those moves are made in a way that considers as many different perspectives as possible. It hurts no one to have people who are naturally inclined to think about those big ideas in a way that they impact as many environments as possible. In a sense, 
it is a diversity and equity and justice yes. conversation. So yes. who can succeed in your organization and who can't? And that can matter to any number of metrics that we've already spoken about, but it can also measure how people think. And all of those things are important. Right, right. So you also speak about creativity. I do, yes. How does that fit in with this? So I think a lot about, especially in terms of organizations that are in terms of change, or thinking in terms of change, um, what needs to go into that process? And if you're maybe an industry that isn't known for being creative, that's more systematic and well thought out, bringing in that competency. So thinking about what does it take for people to be creative? What does it take from an organizational standpoint to make sure that people feel empowered to be creative? Mm -hmm. And what can they then use that mindset to impact? Mm -hmm. So I've really, really enjoyed bringing that conversation in as well. Because again, that's a conversation that benefits from having people who really like to focus on how things work and how they impact actions and processes, mm -hmm. which in many ways introverts are. Uh -huh. And how when you speak about creativity, how do you define it or what's the container for that? So the way that I define it best and the idea that I like the best about it is the fact that it is bringing together different types of thoughts, many of which already existed, and combining them in a way that solves a problem or brings in new people or creates new relationships. So being able to recognize that you're not necessarily inventing something that nobody has ever seen before, but you're identifying a challenge or an issue, bringing in resources for a number of different places, and creating a solution that works for the challenge that you're trying to uh, overcome or address. Mm -hmm. And why is this important in an organization? I think, again, anytime you're looking for an opportunity to move in a different direction from where you've been moving, that means you're going to need to look at resources you haven't looked at before. Um, find new time and new people and new opportunities in a way that you probably weren't thinking about when things were moving in one direction. Mm -hmm. So being able to recognize we need something different and having people that are empowered to do that with the help of more time, more power, um, more, relation, more and better relationships, being able to get a good result that fits the challenge that you're trying to solve for as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. So do you speak about these um, topics? I do, yes. So um, so when you are speaking about creativity, mm -hmm. is that something that you are also teaching about how, how to um, activate that more in, a, in an organization or in an individual, or is it more on speaking about the need for it? It's a little bit of both because a lot of the time if I'm going into that environment, they've identified the need, but every now and again it'll be maybe at a conference or something a little bit more general where some people will identify the need, but others might need to be sold on the idea a little bit. Mm -hmm. So it's a combination of activities that sort of activate that creative mindset for everybody in the room, and then mapping some of the lessons and results of that activity into scenarios that might be impacting them in their organization. So for example, if someone is trying to sell an idea but maybe they're having a hard time getting people to understand it, trying to figure out who they have from a community perspective that can help them sell that idea. So maybe it's somebody a little bit higher up with a little bit more influence, or maybe it's a peer that's looking at their proposal and says, it's missing this, can you add it? So having them do a given activity by themselves and then with a group of people in the room and looking at the differences for that 
can then power up people to say, well, maybe we shouldn't just have one person on this problem. Maybe they need three or four people. And maybe those three or four people should come from different departments so they have different perspectives. So being able to map what, for the most part, is an activity that has nothing to do with their organization and helping them figure out how is this going to change what you do when you go back to your office? That's been fascinating to learn about. That's a great exercise. I love that. And I can see that having you know an impact for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I mean, just an individual, because we think, oh, let's say I work a lot with entrepreneurs who maybe work on their own. And the idea that the way that they problem solve is going to be different when they address something on their own or if they bring in other people. Mm -hmm. to to solve that problem. Yeah, and that's been a really huge part of how I frame it for people is that it can and should be a community-type enterprise. And it should be a community-type enterprise of people that maybe are working towards the same goals, but they themselves are not always the same. Um, so that's actually been the latest way that I've been addressing it with people is as a mechanism to impact equity and justice conversations. Mm -hmm. So if your company is making missteps or maybe missing certain populations or doing things that are leaving those populations out, who do you have working on those problems in a way where you could have seen that coming? And if you don't, again, structurally, what within your organization is keeping those people from being involved and how can you change it? Mm -hmm. So using that creative process to think about who's here, who isn't here that needs to be, and how can we make this a place that they want to be and can meaningfully make an impact? That sounds great. It sounds very empowering and creative and, um, and enriching, you know, in terms of, I can see where people would, and organizations would start to feel really excited by these possibilities. And um, I find that it's been most helpful because so many organizations that are having these conversations about valuing diversity and inclusion and equity and justice understand they need to do something, but they don't know what to do. And the thing that I like about a lot of creativity-based frameworks is that they're biased towards action. So putting those things together, they understand the value for creativity and they're having conversations about things needing to change. Putting those two things together says, all right, here's how you do that. What is the problem that you need to solve? What assets do you have from a creative perspective? And how can you create a new version of your organization that brings in this group that was left out or offended or uh, maybe subjugated or made to feel as though they weren't a part of that process? And it's, it's a new way of talking about it that I think has had a really profound impact on people feeling like, I can do something about this. Mm -hmm. That's great. So I. Um, just want to touch on because I am working with people who want more visibility that sure. do speaking and they want to be more comfortable. What was the process for you like as you found yourself with this kind of topic that mm -hmm. no one else was talking about and you thought, oh, I should start talking about? What was that like for you? So I will say at first it was a little bit daunting to go into spaces where I was speaking with any level of authority. Some of that being born of not being great at public speaking just yet, and some of that being that I was relatively young. I think when I first started speaking about this, I was 24, mm -hmm. which meant that most of my colleagues were older than me. Um, I was used to having some of those conversations with students because they were a little bit younger, but going into professional um, organizations where people had been doing this 15, 20 years and speaking with any level of authority, at 24 years old, that's daunting. 
Um, but being able to ground what I was doing and research and build confidence from the idea that I had enough information to know that this was working. And I had talked to enough people who responded to it to know that it was working. So some of that social proof, so to speak, was really, really helpful. And I always recommend that for people who are thinking about moving into spaces where they can be visible. Do a lot of research, do a lot of writing, test those thoughts out, talk to people, and build community around the idea of testing some of those ideas out. And you'll feel a little bit better when you go into bigger and bigger rooms um, to share those thoughts. You'll know that people you've talked to and people that have been helped by what you're talking about can back you up, so to speak. Right, so can you be a little more specific when you say test it out, what would you recommend like, for someone to do? Um, I would say, Blogging is a really good one. I think I wrote about this topic for a good two to three years before I talked to anybody about it. Mm -hmm. Really just thinking about how does this idea work? What do I think about it? Over time, do my ideas change on it? And some of them do. I have blog posts that will contradict things that I wrote earlier, and they both have to live in that same space. Um, building up community, um, <clears throat> excuse me, some of that being online. Um, so being in professional networks with people who are willing to read my blog and ask questions um, and talk to me about, I think my students might want to learn from this, can I share this with them? And then later, now that you're speaking about it, can I bring you to talk to them? Mm. So building up some community around people that had a vested interest in what I was working on and could validate some of those ideas. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like you had a community already built up that you could, because you were in higher education, that you could say, hey, I want to run these ideas by you, what do you think? Is that basically what you did? Yes, it mm -hmm. definitely was. It was a big part of me getting to a space where I felt confident enough and then also getting to a space where it could be my sole business once that time came around. Mm -hmm. And whenever I talk to my mom on the phone about what I'm working on, she's always like, well, you're very well networked, so I feel, <laughs> I feel like you're going to be okay. Uh -huh. And yeah, I've always really enjoyed talking to people about these ideas and building connections. And I, I really like meeting people. In that regard, I, again, outgoing introvert, I like talking to people. I very much like, if it's happening on social media, the fact that if I'm overwhelmed, I can step back and come back to it when I'm ready. Right. But those relationships all still exist, and then they can turn into face-to-face -face or in real-life conversations mm -hmm. um, and relationships. So mm -hmm. having that be a part of my process was also good for confidence building and then eventually good for business as well. That's terrific. I'd love to invite my guests to pull a card from this okay. box and just um, riff on whatever word it says. It says humor. Oh, great. Okay. I'm actually glad I got this one. So the three words that I've always identified with my business from the very beginning are creativity, humor, and energy. And I think humor is the one that we've managed to not hit so far. Um, so I come from a family of very funny people. And I think for me, it's always been really important to find ways to find humor and laughter in whatever it is you're working on. Um, some of that is relatively informal in terms of when I make a mistake or when something goes wrong, being able to laugh at it a little bit. Some of that's a little bit more literal in that uh, some of my hobbies are writing comedy, be it sketch or stand-up. But overall, kind of recognizing that all of that has to fit into the environment that we're living in because we're in a space where people need that. We're in a space where people need that space to breathe and take a moment away from things that might be difficult or challenging or oppressive in some situations. So how can we build spaces that allow for that humor alongside professionalism, alongside confidence, alongside being able to make shifts, having fun with one another, being light with one another, and finding space 
for that to exist along with it. That's great. So you say you write some stand-up. Is that for yourself or for others? Or uh, It depends <laughs> on the day. Um, I'm actually embarking on a creative challenge that starts next week, which is a lot of writing jokes, but also committing to telling jokes in front of people. So I'll be doing a bit more of it in the next 100 days if uh, if this all goes to plan. That's so. That's really exciting. It's a, it's a dream of mine, too to have some of that experience. And yeah. it's fascinating to yeah. me because the two things that I do all day as my job are write and talk in front of people. It is the hardest version of both of those things I have ever done. And it's really interesting to, in a sense, kind of start over because um, it's something I'm not that good at yet. And I have a sensibility where I like to be good at things quickly. This is not that. So it is challenging me in so many ways, but it is also so much fun when you get it right that it keeps you going. Uh-huh. It's a real satisfaction. Very much so. So is it hard because it's difficult to get the setup and the punchline just right so that you get the laugh? Or what do you think is the difficult part? Or is it getting up in front of people to tell the jokes? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. So getting up to tell the jokes, um, especially because you're not sure if it's going to work, it's coming from a place where I think I'm extremely confident in knowing like the things that I speak on day to day because I have so much social proof of having written it all down and having run it in front of people. But a lot of the time with the joke, I know it's funny, but that doesn't mean anybody else is going to find it funny. Uh -huh. So there's a very different kind of burden of proof for success that I'm still kind of adjusting to. Well, maybe you need the same kind of buildup that you suggest that we do <laughs> with our ideas. I have to follow my own advice. <laughs> That's you are right. absolutely right. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show. This was a great deep dive into the world of introversion and creativity and the surprise humor at the end. My pleasure. This yeah. has been so much fun. It was wonderful. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode of Women Inspired. And if you've got a speaking opportunity coming up and you're feeling a little bit of dread, I don't want you to feel that way. So I have a guided visualization for you that you can get at my website, www.lindayugalo.com forward slash speaking confidence. And if you want to get in touch with Ama Marfo, mm -hmm. your, can you just speak your URL? Sure. It is my first and last name, amamarfo.com. Um, same handles for Twitter and Instagram. If you want a little bit of substance and a little bit of jokes, they are both there. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you for coming on this episode and be sure to tune in to the next one. Gain,